This is episode 137 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me. A lot of people have a love-hate relationship with systems. On the one hand, systems can help clear up a lot of mind chatter and resolve frustrations. And on the other hand, they're just not that fun, and creative people tell themselves that they don't think or get systems. Marina Darlow joins me on today's jam to discuss the relationship between systems, creativity, and emotion, and some of the real reasons people avoid building better systems. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hey, Creative Giants. I'm excited to introduce you to Marina Darlow. Marina is a systems expert and a productivity geek. She sees her job as helping impact-driven entrepreneurs get 10 to 20 more productive hours a week, stop leaking money, and prevent stress-fuel breakdowns. An engineer by training, Marina came to a realization a couple of years ago. Working for a conglomerate is not as inspiring as she wants her life to be. The quest for inspiration brought her to found Vision Framework, a company that builds small, purpose-driven businesses from the inside, helping entrepreneurs run their companies with ease by putting effective, easy-to-use, and fun, yep, fun, systems in place. Marina, thanks so much for joining me today, and I'm always excited to talk to another person about um, systems and productivity and general geekery like that. It's like, I don't get to talk about it enough. Um, and so um, this reminds me of my conversation with Mike Vardy a few weeks ago where like we were just able to geek out on stuff. So thanks so much for joining me and, and indulging our love of systems and creativity. And oh, thank you for having me. It's, um, I really like the show. Um, it's really fun to come to a place that has this um, special energy. Like it's not... When I started listening to the show, I was like, this feels really alive. This doesn't feel very measured and kind of like super logical. Like sometimes, you know, the productivity people tend to be myself included. Yeah. Well, um, I appreciate that. I mean, I think that's, that's what it is, is, is it's always that integration of, um, you know, when, when people think a lot about systems and automation, the first thing I think the first approach that they take is that it takes the humanity and it takes the soul out of, out of it once you start adding systems and automation to it. But sort of my, my perspective is actually it puts more humanity and soul into it because you can be hyper-present and you don't have to worry about all the chatter of all the stuff's happening in the background because you just know that it's working. I completely agree. And, you know, it's like saying, oh, the rafts and the joints in the house are so soulless. You can't have a house if you don't have the foundation and the wooden walls and, you know, the wiring and stuff like that. They have to be there in order for you to make the space livable, to make it functional and so on. And I view the systems kind of like that. They remove the need to, to think and to engage with things you'd rather not. You can focus on the stuff that you really care about. Yeah, it reminds me, I'm going to butcher it because I hadn't really thought about it until just now, but it reminds me of sort of a line from the Dao Te Ching that is, it, I'm going to paraphrase, but it's, it's the, um, um, the structure of the cup gives it form, but the space inside the cup gives it purpose, right? 
And it's like the systems gives us the systems and, and sort of things like that give us the structure, give us the form of, of how we might show up, but it enables all this magic to happen in between the systems. Absolutely. Right? Um, and I think that's, that's what we have to think about. So um, we kind of jumped headlong into it. Um, you know, you're a systems geek. I'm a systems geek. Um, so many people that we talk to may not be systems geek, right? <laughs> System geeks. And, um, you know, in my travels, I've, I've noticed that especially amongst creative giants, largely there is a sort of love-hate relationship with systems and structure. And it's more like, well, if I focus on the systems and if I focus on going that way, then it's somehow going to hurt or diminish my creativity. Um, tell, tell us how you've encountered that as well. So first of all, I have definitely encountered that because in fact, I was more or less dragged by an ear to open the business because um, people hated dealing with systems and they needed somebody who could do it for them. Um, and I think it's a combination of few things, you know, creative people very often carry this baggage of um, being in school and being told you're not doing it right. You should do it this way. Um, or you're lazy and you're not, using up your entire potential because God forbid they do it not the way the teacher intended them. Uh, and also just the, the sheer way of thinking very often for creative people, at least in my experience, it's not linear. It's not you first do this and then you do that. And then you do that other thing. It's more like I see this amazing mosaic of things and my mind goes like all over the place and it allows me to see the entire picture. But when I need to, do a string of tasks that will bring me from conception of an idea to, let's say, a finished drawing or a finished, you know, in our case, a finished, I don't know, online class, that's much harder because whereas, like, it's hard to see the in-between. And the system, in a sense, it's the roadmap for the in-between. Um, so when you say it's a love-hate relationship, for many creative people that I see, because they don't think in a linear way, it's kind of an unknown land for them. And unknown fills us with, you know, this feeling of being uncomfortable. When we're uncomfortable with something, even if we realize it's inevitable, we tend to not like it. Um, so here's an analogy I thought about. Um, for the last few months, since I think May, um, I became a rock climbing fanatic. And fanatic is a little too, you know, probably exaggeration, but I really, really got into rock climbing. <laughs> you can't climb without good climbing shoes. And these shoes, let me tell you, they're really uncomfortable. Like they are, they kind of squish your feet and their whole purpose is to give a certain angle to your feet so you can um, hang on to the wall in you know, the optimal way. And of course you need a harness and you need equipment, otherwise you would most likely fall off if you do top row. So systems are like the equipment. You're not, like you can't not use it. Um, I just read this um, in, um, just read this article from um, Hootsuite, who was in the fast company, that when you have a business big enough, you, it cannot be sustainable without some kind of a playbook. So you can, um, you can look at systems as either the equipment that you use or as a playbook 
that you go by. Um, and sometimes it makes you uncomfortable because this doesn't necessarily um, feels very natural to the way you operate, especially if you're, you know, raging creative. But it has to be there because otherwise it's your creativity is not sustainable. Yeah, I'm going to slide in here that a lot of times when systems geeks talk about systems, we conflate two different things and it can make it really hard for people. I think one is we conflate processes, mm -hmm. um, sort of the conceptual ways in which things get done and having a model for that. And we conflate the tools and apps and things like that, that, that run those processes, right? Oh, yeah. I typically um, will discriminate when, when we're really getting to be distinct between processes and systems, right? Mm -hmm. With systems being the tools and everything's like that. But I'm just going to slide that in that, um, you know, if, if you're sometimes, if you sometimes are, if you're a listener and you get stuck sometimes with like, well, are, are they talking about the processes or sort of the way that things happen? Or are they talking about the tools that people use to get stuff done? Well, we can be slippery, but I think it's actually both. Yeah, it's actually an excellent point, and I should have clarified it in between. So in my mind, system is a method plus a container or a tool that helps you use this method. For instance, uh, if a method would be to map out your week and put blocks, you know, blocks for writing, blocks for marketing, blocks for having an interview on your podcast um, throughout your week, um, your calendar would be a container to implement that method. So a system has to be both. If you only have the process, but you don't have the tools slash the container to do it with, you're screwed. If you have yeah. a container and you don't use it, like the best container in the world won't really help you very much. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I should have made it, I should have said it before we started talking. It, it's all good. It's one of those things that, that like, it's just, we, we assume that it's on board. And a lot of times when we're working with people with systems in the, in the way that we're talking about it, um, you know, people were like, should I use Asana or should I use Trello or should I use Basecamp? And I'm like, you might be asking the wrong question right now because we're talking mm -hmm. about the tool or the system. Like, what's your process for delegating projects? What's your process for scoping out projects and planning them? Let's talk about that first. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have that, then um, the tool, the system is really um, a secondary consideration. We're going to go back and around in circles and just be looking at features without addressing whether this particular system addresses and actually can run the process for you. So, I mean, we're, we're saying similar things, but I just want people to be thinking like, if you're ever in that place to where, for instance, you're not getting stuff done, mm -hmm. right? There are two different questions that you can ask. It's like, is this the right tool for the job? I.e., is this the right system for the job? Or um, do I actually have a, a clear view in my mind about how this process is supposed to work? Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're a useful jumping off place, but if you're looking at features when you're not sure about how to get something done, features of a system, of a tool or system, when you're not sure how to get something done, you're looking in the wrong place. I, you know, the listeners probably don't see me nodding. It's like <laughs> every half sentence. Uh, and I absolutely agree. And I want to add something to it because I see it in my practice. Um, every tool that you start using, whatever features there are, will have a learning curve. And it would be much easier to put up with this learning curve if you nail down your process and you're pretty confident what it is that you want to do and how and how you know your brain operates. Because any, like I'm a big fan of all kinds of Gantt chart tools. 
Um, my favorite is currently probably Smartsheets. Uh, for the, you know, for the, um, we're not going to go into the features, but let's say that that's what I use. And even that, like almost every tool you start using will uh, throw you into this love-hate relationships in the first couple weeks. Don't abandon it, right? That's one point. Because if you mapped out your process correctly and you chose the tool and it's all good, even then you will have you know, a period of time where you're like, oh, shoot, what, what just happened? Why, why can't I add this task in? Or, you know, I clicked twice instead of clicking once. Wait, what, what's happening here? Why am I seeing this screen? Um, in that case, you know, um, don't throw the tool away. And to your point, if you're confident in the process, if you have that outline well for you, then dealing with this learning curve of a tool becomes much easier emotionally. Yeah. Um, I would go further. Assume when you're making, when you're building a new system that you're not going to like it. Right. <laughs> and, and if you assume, well, you don't like it during the building phase because it's a change. It's a change from some way of thinking. And I think if you assume that you're going to be parts about it that you don't like, when you get to those parts, you're not like, Oh, this isn't working. Something's wrong. It's like, no, this is a part of, of, of habit change. This is a part of systems change. You know what? I agree and disagree here. Mm -hmm. I tell you why. Because in my experience, um, the creative people I work with, they're actually like a few stages. So the creating the system, designing the system, that's when we all become bright eyes and excited. And that's like, this is really cool. This is in my wheelhouse because it's the creation phase. And then we start using it. And then when kind of like, oh, um, uh, that, that, doesn't feel very good, very comfortable. So I agree, there is this like, we're changing habits and change is hard by the very definition of it. Um, and there's also not just the change in my experience, it's just the fact that you have to do a certain things over and over and over again in order to instill the habit, in order to make it completely ingrained. And this part is often hard for people who consider themselves, you know, free creative spirits. Just for the sheer feel of a monotony of, uh, maybe the lack of choice, even if they design it themselves. Mm -hmm. And I want people to know that this stage is almost mandatory. Even if you love the system when you designed it, even if you stop and think and you're like mega aware and you have your coach and the coach tells you, look, now you stopped struggling with delegation. How did that go? It went smoothly, right? Even then you will have these moments where both because change is hard and creating a habit is hard, and also because the repetitiveness of it can be hard, you will find yourself cringing and resisting your new system. Absolutely. So um, I think we're mostly in agreement. I, I think it's saying that um, somewhere along the way, you're likely to find some frustration or dread or sort of um, some negative emotions of all type, right? With, with the system. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it actually follows sort of the four steps of the creative process anyways, of preparation, mm -hmm. incubation, elimination, implementation, about mm -hmm. the time you get to the implementation, like that's where people get really, I, a lot of people can get really frustrated because it's like, you're absolutely right. It's like, I, I mapped it out on the board. You know, I've saw all the ways to different do I can do it. And it's like, Oh, now I actually have to put it in the tool and build it. Uh, not so much, right? That's not fun anymore. Right, right. right. Um, and, so, and so typically when I'm working with teams, what I'll tell them is like, okay, so here's, here's how we're going to break this down, right? So 
um, sort of the founders and the small business owners, you're going to be the designers of it, right? You're going to be the creative problem solvers. Mm-hmm. You're going to turn it over to somebody else or you're going to switch hats to go into sort of the building stage. And then if you want to hire assistants and teammates, they're following the systems that you built, but you don't right. expect people who are following the systems to be good systems builder or systems designers. And sometimes great systems designers are terrible systems builders. And a lot of times systems designers are terrible systems followers, right? And so you just have to split up the design, the build and the following so that um, across your business, there are different um, different people or at least different hats and you know how to approach that space. Um, the other thing that, that we, that, we have to use this constantly in my team because we are so system and process driven is the NPS, um, which is no perfect solution or no perfect system. Why right? we use that as interchangeably because you know the deal, like you're going through there and you, you build out the process and you got the workflow and then you, you use a tool or something. And then it's like the tool doesn't do this one thing that you want it to do. Right. Um, and, um, in my earlier stages of systems um, geekery, I would be like, oh, we got to go find some other tool. We got to spend the next 20 hours searching for the tool that does that one thing. But then if you do that and you follow that, you'll notice that when you choose that new tool, it doesn't do some other thing that you wanted it to do. Right. And also, so people come to me and they say, oh, so I want to integrate everything. Do you have a tool that integrates? I'm like, well, maybe but it's usually not very cost effective. Like you're probably better off, you know, encompassing a big chunk of what you do and building upon it some like piecemeal things. Before we were talking about um, systems and things like that, you mentioned that you had stumbled across a new process with a client who could not schedule his week and could not get any traction. You tried a lot of different things. And when you finally figured out that when he wrote the story, of his week, he was actually able to make some headway. And I thought that was really interesting. And I want, I wanted to bring that for the listeners, um, um, you know, sort of discovery. So tell us a little bit more about that. So I worked with a wonderful guy who is a filmmaker and he came to me because he wanted a little more organization in his backend and his, he has this like new project going on. And basically he wanted help with playing it out and launching it. Great. And, you know, one of the first things I usually do is say, okay, let's see when you do what. It helps to put certain anchors throughout your week and see how you do that. Uh, and most people, um, I would imagine your listeners are mostly familiar with this process. So we started saying, okay, on Mondays you do this, and on Tuesdays you do this, and you teach. And he teaches, a, you know, he's a professor at college on top of everything. And then two weeks in, he's like not doing his homework. And he tells me, and I look at my calendar, and I know what I'm not going to do. I, I feel this resistance when I see it. So we started thinking about some new way of having him plan. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, you're a filmmaker. How about trying to imagine that you're writing a script for a series? You know, write a couple episodes where your hero goes through, you know, the story arc, uh, with a crisis in the middle and going out of his comfort zone and ultimately finding a solution. Uh, and since you're a filmmaker, you're clearly a very visual person. Get in some visuals to kind of, you know, get the juices going. Uh, and lo and behold, and next week the homework was done. Uh, he was like, this is amazing. You could feel the temperature in the room changing. Um, 
like suddenly he was he was all defiant and resentful towards the, you know the process we had to go through and suddenly when he realized that instead of making plans and drawing out tasks he has to write a story with a culmination and a solution and you know frustrations along the way and at one point he said so i see there's this guy with you know little mantras flowing around his head and it's like you know little written things around him um and it was a very strong visual for the person and suddenly you know he started doing things he started making progress and i thought it was amazing uh and then i took it a step further and i said you know people who struggle with numbers numbers could be boring especially when you need to draft a budget and you need to every week look into this budget and say how much you took out and how much you um making and bring in and so on um you could treat numbers as stories as well if you apply narrative for instance um to how much money you're making why are you making this money what is a specific goal in terms of like a story a vacation that's a classic example that is tied to your numbers um if for instance your class is underselling what happens this is your obstacle how are you going to find a solution how are you going to like move through the hero arc when you are the protagonist what are you going to do suddenly dealing with money becomes um easier like don't have any other word for it, it it's not as tedious mm-hmm. you're likely to actually engage um with your system You know, this reminds me of I believe it was episode 71 with Luna Jaffe um because and in the tie in here is a lot of the work that she does with her with her clients and students on money is actually um to have them start telling their stories about money and painting mm-hmm. their stories about money and things like that. So we humans are terrible with numbers unless we're mathematicians or economists, right? Most of us are phys or or physicists, but a lot of people not good with numbers. And you put a dollar sign in front of a number and we get super wacky all of a sudden, right? Um right, we get scared. We get scared and we feel, you know, what what's coming up for me in in the story that you're telling is you're talking to a filmmaker who's used to writing stories all the time and that's leveraging his genius and his expertise in that to do this other thing that he's probably told him he's not good at and that he won't do right and so you completely bypass the 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 struggle mm-hmm. right um by tapping into um you know sort of his genius his genius and his strength so i i love that that one two things seeing that um trying to get someone to continue to do something that they're not good at and they've got a negative story about super challenging two tapping into something that they're already good at to get the problem solved um is another really good way. So um whether it's story based planning, which I think is what you're talking about there, or whether it's just, you know, our listeners thinking about what they're good at and how they could transfer that into something that they're not good at is super useful to think about with that. Um have you extended that process with other um clients and what's happened when you've when you've um tried that with other people? I have and most of the reactions that i get is like first surprise and then people jump on board because frankly um inventing a story or just creating a narrative at least in the face if it sounds more fun than putting tasks on a gant like they have different perceptions right that you you're a writer you are a creator versus you are a boring technical person and people prefer the role of um the creator never mind like the whole 
you're writing your own stories feels kind of empowering. Uh, and it's just more fun. This is also, um, like, I believe that systems have to be either very engaging or completely imperceptible uh, because they're not, not in between. And these two ex extremes, quote unquote, um, is where the best systems live, the best, the most usable systems live. So when you create a story, you create a system that is very engaging. Uh, and the more engaging the system is, the more likely you are to use and benefit from it. Um, so yeah, definitely, like, it, it's just, it's also more fun for me because, you know, when people you work with enjoy what they do, it's kind of a positive experience all around. Yeah, it can be challenging to constantly be pulling people kicking and screaming through things. Um, do you but, do that? <laughs> sometimes. Um, well, especially when it's around, um, when, when we're on strategy execution, when it, especially when it comes time to shipping something or launching something, there are a gazillion reasons why, um, like, today is not the day that we need to do something, right? Um, and, and we need to work on a little bit more. Maybe we need to add this, or maybe you forgot about this one thing. And at a certain point, it's like, nope, we're going over this finish line. Yeah, um, I remember you did an episode where you spoke about research as a way of um, an excuse to actually not move forward. And I love that because, first of all, I'm guilty of it myself, <laughs> uh, I admit. And secondly, I see it, and it's so... It's so true, like you really pinpointed it. Being in this research phase and it's like, oh, I just need to do this. Oh, I need to perfect it. It's all about, you know, perfectionism uh, is essentially after a certain point saying, I really don't feel like moving out of my comfort zone, please. Just, just no. Uh, and you have to. And um, as much as I don't like to do this sometimes, like you, you have to. Yeah, and the more that something actually matters and the more that something is really that unique thing that you can do, the bigger the gap between information and execution is, right? You, because there's no one else that's going to be able to provide the roadmap just like you did. Like there's going to be an ever bigger gap the more that you're doing that thing that's uniquely you. But unfortunately, we don't see that a lot of times and we start trying to stuff it like, oh, if I read another three books or if I go find out another eight ways that someone's done this, it's going to illuminate that gap. And it really doesn't. It just, you know, it actually, and I think I maybe wrote it, it actually makes it harder because you set up more models of, yeah, that. of great execution. Then you're like, oh, now I've read all of this stuff. Now I should know better. So now I really can't fail. And it just makes it that much harder to, to get across the finish line. I absolutely agree. And I would also say that, um, it's especially true for people who are just starting out because like, oh, I have no credentials or oh, I would look like an idiot if I missed that particular thing. Like, how could I not know that? Um, and instead of like, instead of research helping you and making whatever you ship uh, of a higher quality, it's actually, you know, it boxes you in and it makes you even more afraid to move forward. So it actually keeps you, uh, keeps you back. Yeah, it's, it's Moneyball applied to creativity. And you probably know the story of Moneyball. But Moneyball was, it's a book that charts that um, how um, baseball recruiters were using certain intuitive ways to, to judge like whether they should draft a player or not, right? Mm -hmm. And they were terrible at it, right? They were terrible at predicting who would be a good player. So there was, there was an economist that went through and looked and did a bunch of number crunching and realized that the secret of a great player was um, how many times they were able to get on, bat, on base. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> it wasn't how many home runs they hit. It wasn't how cool they looked. It wasn't how they swung. It was how many times or how many, um, how many on-base runs they got, right? And so mm-hmm. I think um, the reason I want to say Moneyball applied to creativity, because I was talking to another client about this last week, is you never really see your big hits coming, right? We, you always think you're going to predict what your big hit is going to be, but a lot of times they're accidents, um, and the only way that you can actually increase your frequency of positive accidents is actually to get on base creatively more often, right? And so it's to ship things more frequently. Now, the challenge is um, when we go into sort of this over-research, like not going across the finish line thing, is that we actually decrease the amount of times that we get on base as a creative person. And we mm-hmm. decrease the chances that we're going to find that big hit. So you can take any of our creative um, inspirators and mentors, and you see that they're shipping a lot of stuff. And we remember the highlights. We don't remember the duds. We just forget about it, right? Because there's this brilliant thing that they did last week. So I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking of my sort of inspirator mentor from far, Seth Godin. Like he writes something every day, right? And he's always got this little zinger at the end. Now there have probably been over the course of the last 365 days, there have probably been maybe, you know, 50 standout posts that he's written, right, out of 365. Mm-hmm. Now, when you only write one post a month, right, or you do something like that, like if the ratio is the same, you're going to have a hit about every three years, right, if the ratio is the same. But if you were on, bat, on base more, if you were at bat more, then you would have those hits coming. And so I think that's where, um, you know, when we come to research, and I know we've, we've gone on a tangent here, but it's, it's important in the sense that I think two things. One, you have to be careful with systems building. Here's what I tell clients sometimes, because sometimes it's a very sophisticated way of hiding from the best work that you need to do, right? It's, it's a way of you saying like, oh, I'm not quite sure how this is going to work. I'm not quite sure how this thing is going to be released in the world. So I'm going to think of the 72 different ways that this is going to go. And I'm going to build a system for each one of these ways and try to problem solve something that didn't happen, right? That may never happen. And that displaces the fear of showing something and letting it be a creative mess, right? Um, so I think that's one, one, sort of, one sort of way that it can be hiding. And the other is when you just feel more comfortable being on the back end of your business um, and not being client facing. So what I wanted to say to your point, um, I think there could and probably should be a system for pushing the person over that finish line. And that system more often than not includes an external person. So a coach is a wonderful way. Just, Somebody, that tell you, somebody to tell you, okay, you reached your point. Now you ship. No, 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 you ship. That's okay. That looks great just as it is. You ship. Uh, and remember how we were talking about a good system is a repetitive system, something you can replicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more times you do it, the easier it becomes. So from the systems angle, on one hand, I believe a, a good system can help you know, to contain that um, desire to perfect everything and to hide in the back. And the second, the second thought that occurred to me while you were talking, uh, sometimes they talk about when it's time to throw systems outside the window. And I don't know many, uh, many instances that, 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 that I find it productive, 
but some of them are. And in my experience, when you try to dream and create a vision, systems can actually hold you back. Um, that's one thing. And another thing, when, when there's some big emotional block um, around um, something that you want to create, you either throw like you throw you throw away your existing systems because just as you said it it could um, it could function as you know as a tool that you're holding on to and oh I cannot follow my system so I'm not doing it so something is clearly wrong. Um, there are other things. I'm systems geek, so yes, there are other systems. If um, speaking from experience, if you have an episode of bad depression and that is what's stopping you. There is a pretty well-known system for that, and it's called, you know, a therapist or whatever, you know, in some cases, medication. There is a system, uh, or if you could call it, but it doesn't, like, that doesn't have to do anything with the systems you currently have in place in order to get things done. So, in these instances, you need, uh, like I need, I usually advise to people that work with me, if I, if I sit fit, um, it makes sense to get, you know, to get away from the current structures that you have built. Yeah, I mean, so here's what I'll say on that, because I, I, it was just reminding me of a couple of years ago when um, I needed to step in and, and help transition Live Your Legend after, after Scott, um, Scott passed. And it was one of those scenarios where mm-hmm. um, everything was so chaotic at the time mm-hmm. that and urgent at the time is chaotic and urgent that it wasn't a time necessarily to sit back and think like, what's the perfect system for task management right now? <laughs> right. Yes. Um, and so what, like in that scenario, because I was running two businesses and there was like seven different communication channels that everybody was on. Some people were sending me stuff on Facebook and other people via email and some were texting me and some were in all these different channels. I was like, stop both teams were getting on Slack like yesterday, like right now, right? And we're going to consolidate our, our conversation channels into one system because we can't have this disparate conversation. We can't, I can't maintain 17 different conversation threads across eight different systems with everything going on, right? Absolutely. And so it was one of those scenarios to where like, yes, that may not, that ended up being, um, for, especially for Team PF, like we, um, you know, as a transition out of that transition. And then, um, you know, we, we use Slack less and less now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've moved more of our conversations over to Asana because it's a better system for that. But in that period of chaos and urgency and a complete lack of clarity, that I think is where, at least for a brief minute of time, you need people coming together, figuring it out, um, and not systems be damned, but um, let's not focus on the system. Let's focus right. on the conversation and the communication first and then build systems around that, right? Right. What you're talking about is, um, in my mind, it's kind of a crisis mode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very nice, for instance, like remind me of, we have a perfect plan to launch a product. But on the back end, things are happening. And oops, if you don't raise $30,000 by next Friday, your company is going to cease to exist. So you go off and you raise this $30,000 till Friday. Because otherwise, nothing Nothing makes make sense. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a very strong point when you also just leave the systems be and you, you, 
you move into a completely different mode of operation. Yeah, the tricky thing is, is that you have to be careful about putting a time capsule on that period of, of chaos plus urgency or crisis time, because mm -hmm. otherwise it can become one of those things where you can get lazy and you're just doing things the easy way right now. But mm -hmm. it's not, it's causing second, third order consequences. For instance, um, this is why, say, in our team right now, we have um, pretty much an Asana first. We have different themes. And so the theme for this quarter has been Asana first. Mm -hmm. um, and rather than talking about action items in, say, Slack, we put it in Asana first, right? Um, and we just don't try to, we try not to use Slack as a place where we're dropping tasks, even me, um, because that's where things get lost. Because when you do an audit of like, why did we not get that done? Or what happened to this one thing? It's like, oh crap, it was in a thread in Slack. And then I forgot about it and I didn't move it over to Asana. And so it's like, well, we should have started the conversation in Asana rather than started it in Slack. So, I mean, you have to be careful to put some sort of time capsule saying like how, like, when do we know that it's time to slow the pulse down and start thinking about better and smarter ways of doing things versus just doing this? Because otherwise you get into the firefighting trap yep. where you wake up one day and you're fighting the fire. And then by the time you get to the end of the day, there's a new fire that started and you know that's what you're going to be doing tomorrow. And you're just in that loop over and over again. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's kind of probably boring because I keep agreeing with you. <laughs> we don't have any like tension. We don't argue about things. Well, I am going to pull up something though, because you mentioned earlier that systems should be engaging or they should be um, imperceptible. Uh, imperceptible. Um, what I wanted to pull out for from that one though, at the same time is whether they're engaging or imperceptible um, systems still need maintenance. I think that's another trick that people fall into. It's like, I build it once and then I never have to build it again. I never have to look at it again. Right. As opposed to, well, maybe, you know, you need to look at your key systems every quarter and say, is this still the way that they were doing? Or, oh, I changed this one tool. The system no longer works or something like that. So just, um, it should be, I guess, imperceptible, engaging, or under review or something like that. We're just keeping in mind that, that, you know, you do have to sort of curate and cultivate your systems in, through time. Yes, yes. Uh, a good system in a way, because you know how we agreed earlier that a system is a process plus a container. And in my mind, the review of kind of the system itself has to be built into a process that you're using. For instance, if you have feedback loops with your team and you use Asana, just, you know, just like we said, it probably pays to, you know, like I would imagine that you have once every quarter said, hey, are we communicating well using Asana? Like, are there any, you know, things that we need to troubleshoot or should we transition somewhere else? Um, so I agree. And in the same, like in the same breath, I'm going to say it's essentially a part of a good system to kind of self, self-assess every once in a while. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's self-assess, you know, it's like websites, systems are like websites, which are like gardens, right? In that you're always sort of pruning out the bad ones. And you're always sort of replanting something because it's a changing organic thing. As your business changes, your systems are going to change too, right? Um, and as you get more sophisticated, as you hire people, as you eliminate some processes, as, um, well, this is, a, this is a side one, but it's important. Um, as you get more competent at a given system, you typically, especially if it's going to be something that you're not going to hire out, 
it actually requires less steps because for you to articulate fewer steps because you become more innately able to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think when people are first starting with systems, it's like you see something that's got 72 different steps to it and they're like, oh, that's super overwhelming. But once you've done it enough, it's really about seven conceptual chunks that people yes. know how to work through, right? But at the beginning, they don't have this, this skill competency to be able to just intuitively go from one thing to the other. Exactly. Like in the beginning, it's a set of seven clicks and three months later, it's just, okay, I'll just add this into a system. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's an ingrained process, right? Um, Now the trick is that, um, you know, I've written about founders mojo as well is that you get so many ingrained processes Mm -hmm. that you forget that when it comes time to train somebody else, that you've got to unpack, unpack that ingrained process back into the 72 different steps that someone else should need, is yes. going to need to do. And that's a frustration because it's like, well, I already know how to do it. So why do I need to unpack it and train somebody else on how to do all these 72 different steps? It's going to take longer. You know what? I like to think that in a way, it's kind of a hiring decision. You hire people that have the skills to operate a certain type of system as part of their job. And then you say, figure it out. This is how we do it. This is the tutorial, figure it out. And you expect, when you, you know, when you delegate to this person, you expect a certain learning curve and you kind of monitor it in a way, not micromanage it. Um, so I would say if you come with this mindset, it could probably soften the frustration in a way. Absolutely. And just understand when you're transferring, like people, people will often be like, well, they said that they knew how to do this particular skill, say using WordPress, right? Yeah. Um, so they're coming ready to play, right? Ready to, ready to go. I'm like, well, they've known how to use WordPress in the context of some other business, in the context of some other strategy, in the context of some other processes. They may not know the particular context of your business, the particular processes of your business, the particular strategy of your business. So though they know that particular technology, you can't expect them to, to say like, oh, they know how to do SEO descriptions on WordPress. So I'm going to be able to hire them. And on day one, they're going to be able to do that. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not quite how it works. It just means you won't have to train the technical skills, but you're still going to have to train or train and educate about the contextual background yes, to make yes. that work. Yeah. Uh, although I have to say, I find it personally easier, maybe because it's it, just the way my brain works. But I find the teaching process, that conceptual, like you said, is way more fun uh, than teaching. And now you click here and then you add this note here. Yeah, absolutely. And what I'll say about that briefly, because I go on a, a rant about this with clients. So I'll go on a rant about this on the show. Um, <laughs> There are so many good tools for technical training between Linda and I think now it's called LinkedIn Learning, between Udemy, between Skillshare. Someone else has provided tutorials on the technical training thing. And it's so worth your time to pay 30 or 50 bucks to have have a membership. And it's like, you need to learn WordPress? Here's this program that tells you how to do it and how to do all the clicky things when you're done with that, right? Or here's here's a project that we need you to do. But Spending your time training someone on how to click through something, not an effective use of time, especially when um, there's so many good tutorials out there. Yes, yes. I, that's 
That's so, so, so true. Can I borrow the, all the clicky things phrase? It's just really like the phrase. <laughs> sure. You can, you can borrow all the clicky things, not your job. Um, <laughs> I will give credit. <laughs> good. Um, so, you know, we've, we've danced around a lot around systems and, and sort of that, but I want to kind of flip it and um, go a little bit uh, much more, go, go much more tactical and actionable for our listeners. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just have you walk through some of the ways in which you help, like the, the specific steps that you help people go through to establish their own personal systems. Ready? Any? Sure. Okay, go. Uh- so the first step would probably be the assessment. And I always start with people that come to me. I always start with what hurts. Um, I learned it from Naomi Dunford a couple of years ago because that's really cut to the real thing. They clearly came to me to talk about their systems and internal organization, maybe productivity, which are all tied together. But if I ask what hurts and somebody says, I'm swamped and I have no idea how to deal with my budget and I need a system to track my, you know, client payments. I'm like, okay, let's, let's tackle that first. Um, Or if somebody tells me I want to launch a project, but it's very hard for me to figure out how to get from point A to launch. Like, oh, okay. So why don't we start with planning? Do you have a system for planning? Do you know how to plan? No, this is how we do it. Let's go through this process. So once we figure out what is the first and the most immediate pain point, we start building a system for that. And this is also when I take care to understand how the person thinks, how they prefer to work. For instance, that um, example that we talked about with using a story, that's probably, you know, a very good illustration of you don't, you don't want to look at your calendar. That makes you cringe. Why don't we use a different skill, something that you're already good at, something that you already enjoy? Um, or you're a great communicator. Why don't you go out and talk to, you know, identify groups you want to talk to and talk about your product? Uh, And this would be the way, like this would be the basis for launching um, your new amazing thing. Um, And also like, are you a visual person? Maybe we should deal with your finances to make them, you know, to use a system that uses colors and graphs and shapes rather than staring at the wall of numbers. And if you like telling stories, why don't you write narratives? Um, So out of these things, the pain points of the way the person thinks and the way the business needs um, you know, kind of line up, we devise a custom process and we then follow through. And then we, you know, we meet, we, we create some sort of an accountability structure that you as a coach are more than familiar with. Um, so there's constant feedback and back and forth and understanding if we're going the right way and we're measuring results because ultimately, Ultimately, there are goals that people come to me with, and there are points in our engagement where we say, okay, did we do this? Uh, No. Why? What happened? For instance, I had a client who went through a painful divorce throughout her work with me. Clearly, we didn't launch where she initially planned to. Why? Because things happened. Uh, And basically, I guess... That's probably enough details for the show. No. Okay. Yeah. So what I want to pull out here is, um, you know, a lot of people, 
um, when they get past all the clicky things, they're also like, where do I start with systems building, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mirror back and say, start with where the pain is the most, right? Start with what hurts most. And yes. you can make a what hurts list, right? Of things that hurt, sort them by the way they hurt worse and start at the top and work down. And yeah. I know that sounds super simple and it is super simple, but it's like, you know, we're just working through that. And if you solve one of those things a month, right? Then on your what hurts list, you know, after six months, you've made a pretty big dent in, in the things that, that, that you need to work on. Absolutely. And you know what? I want to add up on that. Um, there are many ways to determine what really hurts because sometimes I see people that are so overwhelmed because they need to take care of this and of that and that really bogs them. And how do you determine that? Uh, one way, can I do a shameless plug-in? There's a free class. Shameless that plug, I, yeah. yeah. If you go to my website, there will be a pop-up that says, sign up for my free class to figure out what system to tackle first. Um, and that guides you through a series of questions that is very emotion-based. So a, one pretty effective way to gauge where you should start is to see how you feel about a certain things. Like how painful is it for you, for instance, to think about money? And if you go a little deeper, what's painful about money? Is that the fact that you never send out invoices on time? Or is it the fact that you can never seem to make enough? Uh, so these two could be tackled with very different systems, you know, invoices versus a creating budget versus maybe tackling your pricing model. Um, and this is how, like, this is how you do it. Not just like, sometimes, you know, but sometimes you don't. And also sometimes the thing that really bugs you the most seems on the face of it, the tiny speck in your eye, get rid of it, tackle that first, because either it's a thread that you pull and you discover something much bigger and more sinister, or it's something that is really a small thing, but it hogs all your attention. And once you, like, once you address it, you can suddenly be more open to the real things. Yeah. Um, keep an eye out when you're walking through this process. Um, you mentioned invoicing. And, you know, a challenge that people don't often see is the reason they delay on sending the invoices is because they're insecure about the value of their work. Yes, it has I nothing, meant that. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the system or the process. They just don't want, they, they feel uncomfortable and they're afraid that if they send the invoice, the client's going to say, oh, this totally wasn't worth it. What's going on? You're not worth it. You should go somewhere and eat worms, right? So um, understand that a lot of times the, the struggle with systems is actually not about the system. Yeah, right? it's, it's about it's, some other thing and systems. And, and so there becomes this place of resistance to where if you know you build a system, you're going to have to subject yourself, say in this case, to the possibility of rejection or price questioning more frequently. And so you don't want to do that. So you pile up those invoices um, and don't get paid. And then, you know, you generate the other story about you don't know how to run a business because you're not making any money. Well, <laughs> that's may not be the case. It's really coming down to that insecurity about your value to the client, right? So just be aware of that as you're building systems that you may can, when you confront that emotional wall, it's not that you've done something wrong, it's that you've done something very, very right. And that's where the work is. Yes. Amen to that. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. This is, when I said that sometimes, you know, it's a little thread and you pull by it and you discover a much bigger and deeper issue this is a classic example of what I meant. That yes, that was 
that was so on point. Thanks. So as the guest for today's jam, you get to leave our listeners with a challenge or an invitation, right? Depending upon which way most resonates with, with the way that you issue such things. So for listeners of today's episode, um, what would you invite them to do or challenge them to do within, say, the next week? Well, I would invite them to sit for, let's say, 10 minutes, maybe even five minutes, put a timer and reflect uh, what systems, what system, one system really bugs them the most in their current state. Think about it. It doesn't have to be something big. Um, I was once hired to do a system overhaul because the owner didn't have his um, upstairs printer hooked up correctly. That was the thing that really, really bugged him. And he decided that this is, you know, this is why he needs to hire a systems person to do all his um, planning and finances and delegation processes and so on. Like we spend literally probably over 50 hours working there. Uh, it was major. But what triggered him was the printer that wasn't hooked on the second floor. So it could be something small, but I want to invite listeners to literally set a timer and think um, with no distractions what it is that really bugs you now on the systems front. And I want you to think about it from the emotional perspective. What makes you feel either guilt, resentment, or avoidance? That these emotions are usually a good indicator of what is not quite going right in that front. All righty. So, Marina, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been fun jamming about systems. Um, I have a feeling this might be the first of many conversations, and I'm looking forward Love to that. Love to. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thanks. Okay, Creative Giants. So you heard it from Marina. What can you, what, when in the next week will you sit down for 10 minutes and think about your systems and think about what bugs you the most? Which system triggers either guilt, resentment, or avoidance? And what small steps can you do within the next week to start building that system and addressing that system so that you feel at the end of the day, less guilt, less resistance, and less avoidance. Until next time, stand tall. If you're digging the Creative Giant Show, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating or review on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do this, there's a walkthrough available on the podcast page on ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.